so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, yet more ugliness at how teachers are being treated. It just infuriates me. And coming up later, I want to talk about what people say is their greatest financial regret. And also, something else that people do that they wish they hadn't or had done differently. I want to talk right now and follow up to a call just yesterday. Because I realized in the time I had for the call that, once again, I talked about something that's so clear to me, but is so confusing to others, and that is, as you're in open enrollment, how you choose a health plan and where do HSA-eligible plans fit. So the caller we had was a lady who 11, if I remember, it was 11 years ago, had started contributing to an HSA account when her employer first started offering high deductible health plans, which was very early for an employer to offer those 11 years ago. Well, she could have written the book on the right way to do an HSA, an HSA health savings account. When you have a high deductible health plan from your employer or you're self-employed and you buy a high deductible health plan that meets the test that Congress requires to make a high deductible plan HSA eligible, what it means is you're then able to take advantage of the best savings and investing account we're offered in the United States bar none. With an HSA, there's an amount of money you're allowed to put in each year that is an amount based on an individual, and then there's a larger amount for a family. You put the money in each year, and that money is pre-tax money, but it grows tax-free, and then it's spent tax-free on eligible medical expenses. It's something that historically has only really been properly taken advantage of by entrepreneurs and self-employed individuals, not by people who are offered one at medium to big companies that now in increasing numbers offer HSAs. So here's where it gets confusing. So you have the money that you can put into the HSA. And what most people do is they use it for current medical expenses. They just put it in an HSA savings account. They may be uh, given a, a debit card to go with the account as they have unreimbursed expenses, co-pays, whatever. They pay them with that debit card. So there's a minor advantage with that, that you're using pre-tax dollars for medical expenses you would have used post-tax dollars for. And that's, I say that's minor, that's actually really useful. But the big advantage of an HSA is when you cover those out-of-pockets out-of-pocket and that money that went into the HSA-eligible plan, the savings HSA account, grows 
tax-free over the years, many, many years, maybe decades if you're young, and then that money, decades later, can be spent tax-free on medical bills, which later in life are normally higher anyway. So the big change with HSAs is that historically they were offered in ultra-high-cost plans offered by banks or insurance companies. And they were generally really terrible choices with very high costs, particularly the bank ones. So today, there are a number of alternatives, and at the top of the heap, with typically the lowest costs, Fidelity Investments. Fidelity offers what I believe to be the best HSA in America. And I hope that Fidelity's rewarded with a lot of people moving their HSAs there from crummy bank plans. Now, there's another very uh, poorly known company, a small company that offers a great HSA plan called Lively, L-I-V-E-L-Y. And then, according to Morningstar, there's one other they really like called the HSA Authority. I've been talking about Fidelity and Lively for a while. But a lot of people may not be in a position to pay medical bills with, after, with money that's just money in an account, you know, checking account, whatever, rainy day account, and you have to draw on the HSA. And I understand that. But if you have the resources to absorb current medical bills, please... Take advantage of what an HSA offers, invest that money for the long term, and remember, if you have money in some rotten, stinking bank HSA, you can move it tax-free to one of the good plans, and in specifics, Fidelity and Lively, and based on Morningstar's assessment i'd also have to say the hsa authority even though i don't have the familiarity with it that i have with fidelity and with lively mary is with us on the clark howard show hello mary hello clark how are you great thank you mary how can i be of service to you well my question is um i recently purchased a car congratulations do you um, like it Yes, I do. Great. And uh, my intent was to purchase the car cash, but in order to get the um, rebates and incentives, I had to take out a consumer loan with them. Um, my, consumer my loan or auto loan? Auto loan. Okay. Um, when I went in um, to sign the final um, documents, um, they told me that due to my credit um, being um, – basically inactive, like I have a lack of recent installments, um, uh, that I have no, nothing active on my credit report. I own my own home. I don't have any other loans. You have no credit um, I cards? Have, I have one credit card that I pay off monthly. All right. So that one credit card would be of some service to you. And this is a side thing I want to mention to you. I would very strongly recommend you get a second credit card from a different financial institution than this first one is from, this only one you have, 
it's really a good idea, particularly in a time of economic slowing, that you have more than one credit card. Because let's say a financial institution decides in a financial crunch they're going to get out of the credit card business. Then suddenly you have no credit cards. Okay. It's good for you to have two. And that's just an aside. So so go on. So then they wrote you a loan and told you because you have so little credit, they're going to have to write you a loan at what interest rate? 4.99%. There's nothing bad about 4.99%? No, but... Um, you know, my, I, you know, if I was going to pay a loan, I would have looked at my credit union. Sure. Um, and they were, they were offering about two point nine nine. Not sure if I would have qualified for that. Well, but, the point is, though, you did this just to get a better deal on the car. So, correct. Um, how long do you have to leave that loan in place? Does it have a six month hold on it that you have to wait one hundred and eighty days, or are you free? to pay it off immediately free to pay it off immediately then i would go for it okay but my only question was um in the future if i decide to get a loan will the two credit cards be enough to show that i have um active accounts yes if you're using both of them it is the floor on what credit you should have the minimum but I have not had a mortgage loan, and I don't know how long. I've never had a car loan, and the only credit I have is credit cards, and my credit score is just fine. Okay. So having um, having a, a couple of credit cards, or since you pay in full, you could even have uh, three or four, I mean, that will help with your your credit profile, and paying everything on time, you're going to be just fine. Okay. And your credit, well, let me tell you something. Your credit was not awful or anything like that. The dealer is saying that, and then they can write you a loan at just under 5%. Because a lot of people who have bad credit, they're actually paying 25% on car loans. Right. So there's there's nothing wrong with your credit. Okay. So, All right. I appreciate it. The most important thing you said is you love the vehicle. That's what I really like. Casey's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Casey. Hi, Clark. It's an honor to speak with you. Well, great to have you here, Casey. And you have an either or for me. I do. Um, so my wife and I are currently in the market for a new home, and uh, we're determined to put at least 20% down plus closing costs. But we also want to avoid placing an offer on a new home that's contingent on selling our current home. And I'm proud to say that we've almost reached our 20% savings goal. We're not quite there yet, but we would be if we hadn't already maxed out our Roth IRAs for 2019. So now we're wondering if we withdraw contributions from our Roth to bolster our down payment, are we allowed to redeposit those funds after our current home sells? And is there a limit to how much we may withdraw and then redeposit? And is there a deadline for doing so? And finally, is this a Clark Rages idea, Clark? No. Okay. So you can withdraw uh, in almost all circumstances. You can withdraw your contributions at any time for any reason and owe no tax, no penalty. And 
you lose the ability to make uh, a contribution to make up that money. Oh. But it doesn't matter because we're almost at the new year and you'd be able to turn around and as soon as your home sold, put back in $6,000 each. Okay. Now, there is another alternative. This one is really crazy, okay? <laughs> I love it. All right, so we're going into uh, crazy town territory. There is a strategy people use when they temporarily need money. You, are, you can use the money in an IRA for 59 days and have it be completely tax and penalty free as long as the money's back in in 60 days. But the way you do this is you have to change where your IRA is, where your Roth is. So you'd have to move it from company A to company B. What happens, company A sends you a check. They also send a notice to the IRS that you pulled your money out. And then when you file your return, you just have to show that it's been redeposited by the 59th day. Okay. So if you were in a window, if you were in a window where you felt really confident that you would get the the current home sold and closed and the use of the money would be within 60 days, you could do that. Okay. I hadn't thought about that. Thank you so much, Clark. Read the rules. Go to the IRS regs. Don't trust me on this. Go read the IRS regulations. Read them when you're really awake so you can (laughs) understand the very dry prose that will be there to make sure you don't make any mess-ups in doing that. Okay, perfect. But congratulations to you on being able, it's really impressive, that you're able to put 20% down on a new home when your old home hasn't sold yet. That's something for which you should be very proud. Today's Clark Rageous moment is really important for anyone you know who is a school teacher or any type of local or state government worker, police officer, firefighter, but most often it is school teachers that are absolutely being ripped off to the max. I want to share with you in today's Clark Rageous moment. Scams, rip-offs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. In a move that just horrifies me, A law has gone into effect in Texas that takes away protections from teachers from being ripped off by insurance companies in their retirement plans. Texas had really minimal protections, investor protections, but now allows unlimited amounts of ripoff charges and fees to be charged to teachers in retirement accounts already around the United States. Teachers are paying as much as 400 times the expenses that people are paying with big companies and the equivalent to it 403B plan that teachers and firefighters and state state employees, people like that might be on, they're paying as much as 400 times what people pay for 401k plans that are with big companies. 
and typically uh, 30 times the expense that people pay who work for mid-sized companies. And this is absolutely unconscionable, and I just despise politicians who only listen to the people who give them money from the big money crowd and would sell teachers down the river. Teachers that we depend on to educate and nurture our children being cheated like this should not be, should not happen. In Texas, a special, special case of shame for you today. But this is a problem all over America for teachers and other local and state employees. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. You know, when you have a question for me, if you go to clark.com slash ask, you can post that question. And if you specifically want me to answer it, there's a box you can check. We also, though, have other ways we answer your questions. And you can do so calling into our off-air center, which we've had since 1993. It's a free service of the Clark Howard Show, and we make that available uh, 42 hours each week now, where you can get free off-the-air advice from a member of Team Clark. You also can post at clark.com ask, and you may end up with a response from somebody at Team Clark. You also could have your question asked on the air by uh, producer Joel, which you hear from time to time in our Ask Clark section or session or whatever we call it that we do sometimes within the show. So a new survey out that I read in CNBC that the average person who takes out loans for college, the average person takes from when they finish school to age 45 on average to finish paying off student loans. That's the average. Others quite a bit longer. So think about for normal working lifespan, historically it's been considered to age 65. It's really stretching past that now. But if you think about age 65, that means for more than half of somebody's core working years, if they go to college, they're paying on student loans. And it crowds out so many other things in your life. 70% of people who have gone to college in the last few years have taken out student loans. Typical amount people borrow $30,000. So a few things here. I'm going to say something that's going to make you mad. Okay, sorry. I'm going to make you mad. I have talked about borrowing student loan debt that should never exceed what you'll earn the first year likely on a job finishing college. And so having $30,000 in student loan debt, the average, is actually a reasonable, not back-breaking amount. I talked to uh, a wonderful former employee of a TV show I used to have who, after the TV show ended, 
a great thing happened to her. She decided she wanted to be a doctor and went to medical school. Talked to her yesterday and she told me that she knows two people who are doctors in the hospital system she works in who have over $1 million of student loan debt. $1 million of student loan debt. Can you imagine that? How do you ever get your arms around that? So prevention is the best cure, right? You need to be very cautious and careful how much debt you're taking out. But let's say you are the average that I talked about, and you have somewhere around $30,000 plus or minus a student loan debt. I don't want you in debt for decades and hitting that average about age 45. If your student loan debt is at that level, I want you to go on a cycle where you wipe that debt out in 10 years. 10 years. I've had callers who've had much, much higher student loan debts who set out to do it in 10 years and did so. It's all about setting priorities that that becomes a monthly expense just like your rent. So it means you'd be paying $250 a month plus interest. You may have a budget that there's no room for $250. But for a lot of us, if you just look at, if you use a debit card, use a credit card, look at your statements and look where money goes. And I bet there's a decent chance that you could come up with that kind of money per month. Because remember, you only have to come up with the difference between the minimums you're paying now, hopefully you're paying on your loans, and what would take you to 250 plus interest. And every time you send in that 250, you reduce how much interest carry there is on those loans the next month. And wipe them out, clear that slate, and move forward with your life. Yvonne is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Yvonne. How are you doing? Good. Good morning. Yvonne, how can I be of service to you? Okay. So I know I've heard this before, but I totally forgot what you said. I have two grandchildren. Um, one, well, neither of them are two years of age yet, but I want to set up uh, an account for them and um, that like their parents couldn't touch and the kids could touch, but I don't really want a college account in case they don't want to go to college. So I don't want any stipulations on it. Okay. First so, of all, you are a brilliant grandmom and that you recognize <laughs> that the parents might squander the money <laughs> before the kids reach age 18 or 19. Yeah, which is unfortunate. That's why. Well, like but th- that's true in a lot of families, right? Yeah, I know. All right, so I'm going to give you a, a few ways to do this. So one of them is where you own the account for these young children, mm-hmm. an account for each of them, where it's what's known as a custodial account, and you are essentially the owner for the benefit of these kids. So the parents okay. don't have access to the money. You can set up an investment account, and that costs nothing at the the big investment houses, Schwab and Fidelity. There's no minimums required. And so you can open these accounts and invest money for the kids. Uh, and, you know, you, that you look 
18, 20 years away, when you feel they're mature enough to have the money, you let them know those accounts exist. Okay. And by the way, I just told you uh, something that is the practical way people do it, not necessarily the legal way. Because depending on the state, the kids legally become the owners of those accounts at 18 or 21. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of parents or grandparents do is they just never happen to mention to a kid or grandkid that there's a custodial account. So that if they're not mature enough to handle that money at an age that they would normally be legally entitled to it, it just is just a tale that you slipped and forgot to tell them about. <laughs> Sounds perfect, yeah. <laughs> uh, so here's the other idea. Are you working? Okay, so I'm, I'm actually retired, but I do work part-time. I worked um, 30 years for the state that I live in, so, but I do work another part-time job. So what you can do with that part-time money is up to what you earn each year, you can put money into a Roth IRA and name the grandkids as the beneficiaries of that account so that at the time that you're no longer with us, the money would pass to them. And again, that would bypass the parents. Oh. Now, if you if you were not with us long enough and um, you were to pass away while they were still minors, then that would probably short circuit and the parents would probably be able to get their hands on the money. Mm-hmm. But if you were to do it where uh, you did a Roth IRA, you know, that's tax-free money and that money can pass tax-free to the kids and be spent tax-free by them. Oh, okay. So that's an alternative. I I imagine you've heard me from time to time talk about Roth IRAs. Yes. So they're the same company, Schwab and Fidelity, I talk about offer, you know, no fee, no commission, Roths and uh, Vanguard offers that. Uh, Do you have accounts with any of those three? You know, actually I do. The the part-time company I work for... um, with Fidelity. And, so that's yeah. perfect. You could set up a Roth with Fidelity and do it that way, or, or uh, you could do an investment account for each of them at Fidelity. Any would be fine. Okay, great. So that would be the simplest way and would keep the parents clear and out of being able to get their hands on the money. Yeah, I just want to make sure they're kind of set up as they go into adulthood. <laughs> Well, that is so sweet of you as a grandmom and putting the money in an investment account. You know, at Fidelity, you can put the grandkids in the zero funds, which have no ongoing management fees either. There's no commissions. Every penny you put in works 100% for your grandkids. And if you walk into the Fidelity office, you'll see signs for the zero funds everywhere. And they're happy to brief you on how those work. Kathy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Kathy. Hello. Good morning, Clark. You're my hero. Well, you are kind. (laughs) And this is funny because you and Yvonne are both from Alaska calling one after another. Oh, that's crazy, isn't it? So Yeah, it's 50 degrees up here. It's really weird. 50 degrees and we're approaching the 1st of November? Yeah, usually we have a foot of snow on the ground and everything's frozen by 
Halloween. <laughs> but you can see the snow from here. Well, there have been, the been a couple of years of very weird weather cycles for totally. you in Alaska. Absolutely. The best summer ever, though. <laughs> so, what I'm calling about today, Clark, is I got an offer from my credit union here in Alaska, and it's a cash benefits plan. So, it's similar to, I guess, like an AFLEC deal. Uh, it's for cash paid directly to me for $1,800 a day for intensive care, $900 a day for hospital confinement, and $450 per accident emergency room visit. I'm just wondering if that's, you know, I mean, if it's a scam. Is I mean, it's it's very inexpensive. It's yeah, like well, that's because that's because the chance you end up in the hospital is extremely low. Right. And so the benefits can look impressive, but the premiums can be what seems very affordable. But mm-hmm. I would say this is very low priority kind of spending to spend mm-hmm. on this. I mean, if you ended up in the hospital the week after you didn't sign up for it because I said this is a real low priority, you're <laughs> hating on me. But right. but how many times in your life have you been in the hospital and how is your general health? I've never been in the hospital <laughs> yes. except, you know, with family members. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm healthy as I can be, but I can't afford regular insurance. I'm in that. Oh, you have no health spot. insurance? Absolutely not. It's over $1,200 a month and a $6,000 deductible, and I only spent less than $5,000 last year for my annual, my eyeglasses, my dental, everything. So it just, it's not feasible. It's ridiculous. I'm just holding on for three years, you know, until I qualify for Medicare. Right. So are you sure you don't income qualify for a subsidy? Absolutely. You know, you've already done that. All right. Yeah. Uh, One other alternative I might mention, have you ever heard me talk about the religious-based health co-ops? Yes, I have. Are you involved with any religious congregation that you might be able to go in one of those? Not not at all. No, sir. Okay. All right. Because those are the next best alternative when the cost of traditional health coverage is just not affordable uh-huh. is the healthcare cooperatives that are the religious-based ones because it's not the same as true real insurance right but they are a great alternative for someone who can't afford real insurance in mm-hmm. this case i mean if you want to buy a daily benefit policy know that being in the hospital will be a lot more money than those amounts would pay. Right. But it would help defray some of the expense. And if it's something you can afford, I guess in your case, it would go from a low priority to a reasonable priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, it's only $18 a month. Yeah. But so, I just, you know, I make too much. In fact, I got dinged on the second year of Obamacare and had to pay the IRS uh, almost $9,000 because I made too much money that year. Well, I am I am really sorry about that, but I'm glad that you made too much money. Yeah. Better to make too much money than too little. Except in this yeah, case, yeah, for true. the health coverage, making too little would be really great because then you get the subsidized policies. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me, as I just talked about a little while ago at Clark.com slash ask. And then producer Joel will ask your question for you. All right, Clark. First one from DeAdrian. He says, Clark, why don't you like investing in tax liens? Well, 
I don't dislike investing in tax liens. I just want you to know it is a area that requires great knowledge, great skill, and really the only people who do well are people with real experience in it. It takes a good while before you're actually going to be successful buying tax liens. If you uh, are successful right away, you're really lucky and you should go play the lottery. Um, But with tax liens, a lot of times when you win, you actually lose because you end up with a property that has a lot of liability that you then potentially are exposed to. The chances you make money in this, it does happen. There are people who do make money, but most of the money is made promoting tax lien systems, not actually buying tax liens. Clark and Lee wanted to share an update. He said, I recently talked to you, Clark, about PodCoin and making money listening to podcasts. I just wanted to let you know they shut down recently, and I just wanted your audience to know that too. Yeah, the podcast space is fast-growing, but is really in that capitalist phase of a lot of experimentation and a lot of companies fighting for market share, and they just couldn't stand out from the crowd and make it work. All right, and Joshua wrote in and he says, you have mentioned how using online banks will give people better interest rates than brick and mortar or even credit unions. So what are some of the online banks that you prefer? Well, if it's just for savings, it's really simple. Whoever's paying the highest rate at the moment, because as far as your safety, you're insured by the FDIC to a quarter million dollars. There is uh, very little you have to worry about in terms of customer no service when it's just a savings account. And the easiest way to see up to the minute interest rates is go to bankrate.com and then click on savings rates. It's right on the front screen. First, they'll show you ones that I guess pay for placement, and then below it, you can click to see the list of much wider list and see the people that are paying the highest rates. Go with them. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.